Well, amen. Praise the Lord for songs that give us a voice to the hearts of the saints. Um, I'm thankful for those. I'm thankful for our band and uh, thankful for Nate and the team and all their work. Uh, it's a time to give thanks, isn't it? Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 103, please. I'm glad that you have decided to come and join with us tonight at Redeemer Bible Church as we gather around the Word and encourage one another through song uh, to give thanks to God. This is the season of giving thanks. This is the week that uh, in our country where we set aside time to give thanks. And we know that that finds its root in uh, Puritan theology, uh, in some of the men and women that came over into this nation and brought with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are thankful for that heritage in this country uh, because not all countries enjoy that. And so we ought to just make the most of it, right? When we ought to be thankful all the time, but my goodness, if we're given a holiday where we can set aside time, well, let's just seize that moment. So that's what we want to do tonight. Seize the time, seize the moment to give thanks. We'll be looking at uh, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5 tonight. It says this, Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The title of this sermon is Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We get that from the very first line of this psalm, as well as the very last line. If you look down at the very end of verse 22, it says, Bless Yahweh, bless the Lord, O my soul. I desire tonight that you would be encouraged to give God glory by giving Him thanks. Give God glory by giving Him thanks. You know, uh, this is the season, well, we're, we're coming up on the season for shopping for Christmas. And, uh, you know, we have the Lord's blessed this church and our families with many children. And, and it's a time to set aside, to, we, we want to get something for them that they'll enjoy and remember uh, some fun toys and what have you. Uh, there's, one, there's one toy that just has stood the test of time. It's called the Etch-A-Sketch. How many had an Etch-A-Sketch growing up, right? Everybody, from generation to generation. I mean, it's amazing. It's such an old toy, such an old thing, but why is it that year after year it, and decade after decade? It's just it's one of those things you got to get. It's got to be in the home, especially if you have kids or grandkids. I think it's because it's fun. It's convenient, right? Um, if you mess up, you can quickly do away with those mess-ups. It's not as messy, right, moms, as tons of paper and permanent markers. Uh, there's less damage, right, on your furniture. Um, and it's temporary, right? You, you, the, the child makes something nice, a nice drawing on the Etch-A-Sketch and with the same uh, device can quickly just start over and do something new. While an Etch-A-Sketch is a fun toy for a child, uh, I, I think sometimes our hearts, can, our hearts and minds can be like an Etch-A-Sketch as believers, if you think about it. You know, we can remember and um, God can, as it were, inscribe his blessings on our lives and our hearts. He can remind us of 
the great riches of grace and mercy that he has bestowed upon us in many different ways. We can dwell on the things that we ought to be thankful for and, and should praise God for. But, you know, like an Etch-A-Sketch, when, you, uh, when it's moved, when it's bumped around or shaken, so also our hearts when, it, when it's bumped or shaken by trials and troubles of life. What, had, what was originally drawn or written on our hearts, all the good things to be thankful for, when trials come, it just gets shaken up and it's gone, right? It gets erased. Uh, that is not how we should treat our thoughts of God and his mercies toward us. One author, speaking about this phrase in verse 2, forget none of his benefits, he says, we must retain a thankful remembrance of our benefits. And he says it this way. We are not to write our mercies in the sand, but in marble. And that's the point of forget none of his benefits. So I hope to write on your hearts and to remind you of all the things, some of the things for which you ought to be thankful for. And I hope that it would remain, that it would be harder, a little bit harder, for you to forget these things this week. Tonight I desire to help you to remember the goodness and the mercy of God in your life. Now, of course... This is aimed at believers. Christians are the ones that have much to be thankful for. Unbelievers have things to be thankful for, but that's the common grace of God. That's just because God is a good God. But the things that we're going to look at tonight are things enjoyed exclusively by followers of Christ. So if you're an unbeliever in our midst tonight, I'm thankful and glad that you're here, but I would hope that you would find yourself to be almost like a beggar on the street in a, on a cold winter night who walks by a fine dining restaurant and looks in through the window with longing in your heart, wanting what they have. And I would desire to make you even in a sense, jealous of what a Christian has in Christ so that you would long for it yourself. John Flavel said that the thankful man must not only observe what mercies he has and from whom they come, but the thankful man must Specifically, consider those things in their nature, in their degree, in their timing, and in the way that they come to them. There is much of God's glory, Flavel says. There's much, in, there's much of God's glory and our comfort that is lost when we are not thankful, when we do not carefully consider not just what the mercies are and where they come from, but to dwell on those things. What is the nature of those mercies and gifts from God? Uh, how much of those mercies and gifts does God give us? When do they come to us? And how? He likens it to this. He says, he has little pleasure in his meat that swallows it whole without chewing. That's my kind of guy. He puts in a, a steak reference. Um, John Flavel says, you know, you can't enjoy a good steak if you don't chew it, right? If it just down the hatchet, it goes, right? It, you're not going to enjoy it. And so also the mercies of God. Uh, for you to really enjoy the goodness of God in your life, it's good to slow down and just chew on it, right? Just dwell on it. Meditate on these things. 
So I want us to, to uh, remember the goodness of God tonight and to respond with thankfulness. Uh, when God blesses us, when God blesses us, it, it is the free grace of God in His kind and abundant gifts that we are experiencing. The blessing of God in someone's life is when God graciously and freely bestows kind and good gifts to his people. That's what it means for God to bless us. But here, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Bless Yahweh, O my soul. And again in verse 2, Bless Yahweh, O my soul. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we graciously give things to God that he needs? Give him kind gifts? No. When God blesses us, it is him in his free grace bestowing us with good, kind, and abundant gifts. But when we bless God, what's happening is we are acknowledging him as the source of those gifts. And then responding with thanksgiving and praise. So to bless Yahweh, to bless God, is to respond rightly to His blessing. It is the right response. The response of praise and the response of thanksgiving. That's why uh, I will repeat again and again to you tonight. You give God glory... By giving him thanks. You exalt God by thanking him. Why? Because you're giving him the credit. You're saying, I don't deserve anything. So tonight we will see that we must give God thanks for his full salvation, his fatherly care, and fruitful Vitality. Full salvation, fatherly care, and fruitful vitality. I'll explain what I mean by those things as we go along. First of all, he describes uh, all of the benefits, or some of the benefits uh, that chiefly come to mind to the psalmist, here David, the benefits that first come to, the, to this man of God's mind, is first a full salvation. Verse 3. Who pardons all our iniquities. Who heals all our diseases. First thing that we notice in this verse is the repetition of the word all. Right? He pardons all your iniquities. He, he heals all your diseases. Our God, in his grace and kindness toward us, does not ration out his blessing. He does not ration out his deliverance. He does not uh, meter out in small doses salvation. The salvation of our God in Christ is as this kind of salvation that... Uh, releases you from all debt, from all guilt. Every last ounce, every last sin in the Christian's life is paid for and forgiven in Christ. Every single one. And it's not most transgressions that you are pardoned of, Christian. It's all. It's not all the transgressions up to the point of conversion and then you're on your own and then you've got to work your salvation out or, or uh, uh, then you have to keep God's love for you. No. All your sins, past, present, future. And not just the sins that you can name either, dear child of God, Even the ones that you have no idea that you did. Those sins of neglect. 
where you are just glibly and naively going about living your life for yourself and you're not even aware that you're ignoring the Lord. Those times when you don't love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you don't realize it. All of those, all of those sins, all of those iniquities, you have been forgiven of. To pardon is to forgive. That is to remove an offense from the relationship. It's not to sweep under the rug. It's not to stuff into the closet. It's to deal with it so that it is no longer in existence. That is what God has done. And he's done that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, Christ had no sin. He had not one iniquity. And yet there on the cross, He bore your iniquities. And, the, and He was, as it were, clothed, robed with the robe of your sin and guilt. And when God the Father looked, as it were, from heaven to the cross, He saw all of your sin. And so he had to pour out the, uh, the cup of his wrath onto his son there on the cross. That's what happened on Calvary. Your sins and the punishment that was due, your iniquities, fell upon him so that there would not be one drop of the wrath of God left for his children. So that he can say, I have pardoned you of all your iniquities. You're free, my child. He says it another way. Not only does he pardon all your iniquities, he also heals all your diseases. And that phrase, heal all your diseases, it's kind of a callback to Exodus 15. If you remember Exodus 15, that is uh, right after the great deliverance and exodus of Israel out of Egypt. God just saved his people out of slavery. They went out, it was after the, the ten plagues and the last plague of, of the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh kicked Israel out. God saved them. And he... Uh, delivered them across and through the Red Sea. And they were on the other side and they looked back and the enemy of Egypt and Pharaoh and all their armies are charging at them, but God in his great power uh, swallows them up in the sea. And as the corpses wash up on the shore, in Exodus 15, Moses just bursts forth in praise. He sings a song. And then after he gives this song of praise to God for his salvation, God says in Exodus 15, 26, If you will earnestly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, Yahweh, am your healer. You see, God here in this moment gives this, this mixture of tender love and care along with uh, a stern warning and seriousness to his relationship with his people. You see, what, what he's saying is, you just saw me unleash my power and my judgment on Egypt. You saw all the diseases that I brought upon those people because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, and their hatred towards me and you. And he says, okay, now I've saved you from that. Now if you want to, if you want to uh, continue to, to not experience those plagues of judgment, then you've got to follow me. You have to be devoted to me. 
You have to love me, he says. I will not put those diseases on you if you listen to me, if you obey me. You see, God uh, promises us that he will not unleash his judgment upon us. He will not cause the the pains of the unbeliever to be experienced by us. doesn't mean that we won't have suffering. But these spiritual diseases and the ruin of sin in our life, those things will be healed. Some in this life, all in the life to come. This promise is a promise to undo all the pain and all the ruin that sin has made in our lives. A lot of that ruin is because of our own sin that we've made in our own lives, isn't it? But God promises here, he says, uh, well, the, the, the psalmist rejoices in God because he is the one who heals our diseases. One author writes this, he says, Just as in this present life, though forgiven, we still suffer the plague of sin, so sickness is still our lot, according to his sovereign appointment. Until in heaven, every disability, like every moral infirmity, will be gone. Dear child of God, there is coming a day when God will heal all the pains of your soul. Where he will undo all the ruin that sin has brought upon your life. He will make it all right. He is the healer of souls. And what's wonderful is that we can experience a taste of that today. You don't have to wait for Christ to heal you. Christ is the physician of souls. He's in the business of soul work. And so come to him and let him heal you. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. How sweet it is to be reminded that God wipes out our transgressions and he does not remember our sins. You might remember them. He doesn't. He's all-knowing. He doesn't have amnesia. But as I've explained before, what he says, what he means there, he's not going to call it into remembrance. He's not going to bring it up. But there's a little phrase in Isaiah 43.25 that is helpful for us, where it says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. Why does God forgive sinners? It is, is it because he needs us? Is it because he's lonely without us? No, it is for his name's sake. It is so that you would be a worshiper of the one true God. And in that worship of him, you will find perfect satisfaction for your soul. Oh, praise God that he has saved us. And this is accomplished again through Christ. Ephesians 1.17, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, 1 John 1.9 says, if, you confess your, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, dear sinner, you just need to own up to your sin and your sinfulness. And you lay it there before Christ at His feet. And you say, you tell Him, I cannot Fix this. I, I can't get rid of this. My guilt is here. The stain is too deep. I can't wash it out. 
No matter how many Sundays I attend, no matter how many old ladies I help across the street, doesn't matter. No matter how many righteous deeds, come to the realization that if you confess your sins, own up to them, and you turn from them and turn to Christ in full and complete faith and trust in Him, then it says God is faithful and He's righteous to forgive. There has never been a sinner who has come to God through Christ that has been turned away. Not yet. And there never will be. You see, we ought to be a thankful people. Thankful because we have been given a full salvation. This is the first and most predominant, most precious provision, gift of God to his people. And so give thanks to God. Bless his holy name. Don't praise yourself for getting yourself saved. Don't point to self for how much you deserve it because you don't. Thomas Brooks says, Thanksgiving is an uncrowning of ourselves to set the crown upon the head of Christ. That's thanksgiving. And you give God glory by giving Him thanks. For His full salvation, also for His fatherly care. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. To redeem is to purchase someone from certain doom, to buy somebody's freedom from slavery or even death. And here, the, 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 what, the doom that, that we are redeemed or purchased from is the pit here, it's called. The grave. Death. This is describing and celebrating the Christian's redemption unto eternal life. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we might not often think about is in that first phrase, the wages of sin is death, that death is eternal death. It's hell and punishment away from the goodness of God for all eternity with no relief, no respite, no comfort to the soul or the body. That is the paycheck. That's the wage of sin. Eternal death. How do we know it's eternal? Because on the flip side, the gracious gift of God is eternal life. So if the gift is eternal life, then the, the, the alternative is eternal death. That is what you have been redeemed from. You have been purchased from an eternal death, dear saint. And you have been delivered from eternal death to eternal life. And that life is found in Christ. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. And he asks, do you believe this? In Christ is found life. He is the life. He is life. You have been saved through his death so that you might have life. Remember, when it says he redeems your life from the pit, what was the cost of that purchase of your soul? What was the cost? To purchase or redeem your life. 
the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. His perfect and spotless life was offered up, given, surrendered, in order to buy you, Christian, your life. Yes, even your life, even my life, with all of its spots and wrinkles, with, with all of its failures and foolishness, even yours, even mine. That doesn't seem like an appropriate trade, does it? Such is the grace of God. And he says, he redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. This is sweet. To crown is to bestow someone with special honor. That seems to make sense, but it's a mark of designation. It's a mark of honor. If you think about it, in a kingdom, not everyone wears a crown, right? Christian, not everybody in this world gets a crown of loving kindness and compassion. But you do. You do. And this loving kindness, what, what God crowns you with, what he, what he bestows upon you, and you get to wear, is loving kindness. That is the unbreakable commitment of God's love. His steadfast love. It's a love that knows no end or beginning. A love that has no limit. A love that is lavish and certain and divine in essence. He crowns you with loving kindness, but he also crowns you with compassion. God bestows upon your head, as it were, compassion. That is this tender affection of a good heavenly father that's compassion this is what your god crowns you with what an honor it is to receive the loving kindness and the compassion of god not everybody in this world get that but you do what a privilege. Psalm 40 verse 11 says, You, O Yahweh, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually guard me. God doesn't withhold kind affections from you. It comes most naturally from his innermost heart. What flows most freely from his heart is not irritation towards you, Christian. It's not tolerance. It's compassion. It's kind thoughts. It's warm affections. What a, what a privilege to have that. But the reality is, in the, in, from our New Testament perspective, we can't help but remember what needed to happen in order for me to be crowned with loving kindness and compassion. First, Christ, the Son of God, had to be crowned with a crown of thorns. John 19.2, when the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a purple robe for him. This fake honoring, this mocking of a crown, this, this ridicule of a crown, both to, to mock his claim to be the king of Israel and to inflict a severe pain and anguish to him as they drove the thorns into his brow. That is what it costs 
that's what he received. That's the, that, is the, that is what was what he was crowned with, so that God could then crown you, not with judgment, not with that pain and the shame, but with loving kindness and compassion. And not only are you crowned with loving kindness and compassion, but the New Testament tells us in 2 Timothy 4.8, That in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And in James 1.12, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And in 1 Peter 5.4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So in this life, you are, God bestows upon you loving kindness and compassion. And in the life to come, God has more for you. Perfect righteousness, eternal life, and glory will be yours. What rich mercies are in the hand of God for his people. Richard Baxter warns us to not be unthankful. He says it like this very shortly. An unthankful person is nothing but a devourer of mercies. What does that mean? If you're unthankful, you just take the mercies of God and you just gobble them up and move on. That is not fitting. We must enjoy them and thank God for them. Lastly, bless the Lord, O my soul, and give thanks for fruitful vitality. Fruitful vitality, verse 5. says, Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Of course, to satisfy is to cause you to have no, no more need. To fulfill someone, to satiate someone's desires. And he says, this is what God does for you. He satisfies you. He satisfies your years or your desires. He satisfies your soul with good things. And the question is, What does he satisfy your soul with? Or maybe a better question is, before we get there, what are you looking to in order to find satisfaction for your soul? You see, one roadblock to true biblical gratitude is that we desire the wrong things. And so... Inherently, we never find satisfaction. If you think about it, it's, 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 it's pretty logical. Uh, if the only thing that can satisfy your soul is God himself, then no matter how much I fill my soul with the pleasures of sin in this world, and the, and the uh, excitement of transgressions and, and the uh, fulfillment of relationships, no matter how much I, I swallow those things up and try and stuff them into my soul and find satisfaction, if, if the only place I can find satisfaction is in God, then it doesn't matter how much of that I have. I'll never be satisfied. Because they can't satisfy the soul. You were made for eternity, the word says. You were made for eternal things. And so it follows that the temporary things of this world, the passing pleasures of sin, are not even close to up to the task to satisfy you. But the good thing is, that God does satisfy you with good things. He does know exactly what your soul needs. Psalm 107, 
verse 9 says, For he has satisfied the, the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Well, what is that thing? What, what do we hunger and thirst for? Psalm 63, verse 1 through 5. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land without water. Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will laud you. Thus, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Why? My soul is satisfied, as with fatness and riches. And my mouth offers praises with lips of joyful things. You see, if you will open yourself up to finding satisfaction in God, what's wonderful is you'll actually find satisfaction. But if you continually neglect Him and believe the lie that these other things can satisfy you, you're never going to find it. And that's why this world is filled with people in despair and hopelessness. That's why people give up on life. As they come to the end of, of the line and they, nothing does it for me anymore. Nothing works. Nothing fills me. I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty in my soul. But they neglect to come to the realization that you're hungering for the wrong thing. So Christian... Obey the call of Psalm 37, 4, where it says, Delight yourself in Yahweh, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that so brilliant? If your delight is in Yahweh, then He'll give you your delight. If your desire is for God, then He'll give you all you could ever desire of Him. It's not wrong to want to be happy. It's not wrong to want to be delighted and desire thing, something. But the problem is when you delight in and desire anything else above God. Now, why does He do this? Verse 5, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Those words, so that, give us a purpose of why God satisfies your years or your soul with good things, with himself. The purpose is so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now I understand that so that, in some of your translations, might be in italics. That means that it's supplied. The words so that are not in the Hebrew. It's supplied. Uh, it's added in, in a sense, you could say. But that's a common thing in the Bible uh, because uh, languages are different and the way things are said are different. And so the, the, the form of the grammar, the, the form of the words here... Um, show us that it is the purpose that God has in mind. God satisfies you. He fills you up. He quenches your thirst. He satisfies your soul's hunger with a specific purpose in mind. And it is so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The purpose of your soul's satisfaction is to revive you. To revive you. To, to give vitality back to your soul so that you can keep on living for Him and glorifying Him. That's why God satisfies you. To fill you up, 
to make you full and to give you strength to revive your heart so that you can keep going. Keep living for Him. Keep honoring Him. Keep choosing Him and not sin. That's why He does it. So you see, He does it with a specific intent in mind. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who hope in Yahweh will gain new power. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is a parallel passage to to our passage here tonight. Why, Why does God revive us? Why does He give you new power? So that you'll do something with that. So that you'll run and not get tired. So that you'll walk and not become weary. That's why. Because he knows your flesh. That you are but dust. And that's what he says later on in our psalm. Uh, He himself knows our form. He remembers we are but dust. He knows that you need... uh, You need him to supply you with fresh supplies of satisfaction. He knows what you need, Christian, each day to just to keep going. And he says, if you come to me, then you'll find what you need to keep going. You'll find spiritual vitality. I am your fuel, he says. And so we can say along with uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, in every way we are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in your body. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart. How is that possible? That you cannot lose heart in this life. There's a lot of things to lose heart over, isn't there? How is it that you can not lose heart? He says, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So it doesn't matter what your health is like. It doesn't matter what you feel like in the morning. It doesn't matter how hard the day at work was. Or if it's a dark, uh, difficult season in life. It doesn't matter if you're in the prime of life or in the, in the declining years of life and health. It doesn't matter if you're bedridden or if you can run a marathon. Each day if you go to God and find your satisfaction in Him, He will be your source of strength each day. And he will strengthen you to live. That is, to live for him. Richard Baxter says, A thankful obedience and an obedient thankfulness are a Christian's life. A thankful obedience and an obedient thankfulness are a Christian's life. Dear church, we have much to give thanks for. God has fully saved us. Uh, He has, like a dear father, he has cared for us and he still does today. And he fulfills us and gives us vitality of soul so that we would be fruitful in this life for him. What a good God we have. And so as the psalm closes, there are all of these commands. I I mentioned this this morning as we read this text. If you look in verse 20. Bless Yahweh, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. So David here is commanding angels to praise God. Because it's fitting. And then he says, Bless Yahweh, all you hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. 
And then he says, Bless Yahweh all you works of his, in all places of his rule. Speaking to, as it were, nature and the creation of God. Who obey the laws of physics and the laws of nature, which are the laws of God himself. He calls, as it were, the trees and the animals and the seas to praise their creator. And then lastly, he turns to himself. He, after addressing the angels and the the heavenly hosts and all of creation, then he turns to himself. He, as it were, looks in the mirror and says, Soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. So I exhort you, Christian, bless the Lord. He has given you many good things. We have reason to thank Him. And as you thank Him, you glorify Him. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for reminding us of all of these truths, reminding us of all of your goodness to us. Oh Lord, it's, it's, it's a sweet treasure to just let your word wash over us and to purify our minds. Oh Lord, maybe we've been ungrateful in our lives. Maybe we haven't thanked you just even for meals that we eat let alone all the other rich blessings you give us. Forgive us, Lord, for our ingratitude. May we be recalibrated tonight in our hearts and minds to be a thankful people. And I pray, Lord, for your people this week that they would often give you thanks and that if they are around unbelieving family or even just believing family, that they would take time to reflect on your grace. Maybe, maybe read uh, this this chapter, this psalm, as a family or with friends and take a moment to pray and thank you for all your goodnesses to us. Lord, help us now to sing your praises. Help us to respond with a song of thanksgiving. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.